young child goes missing in the New Hampshire mountains. He was found dead days later, allegedly due to hypothermia. But could he actually be the victim of a murder? Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Game H Podcast. This is Brad, as always, serving as your host and leading you down the path of the killing, the missing, and the hiddens. Hope everybody's doing well this week. We are going to delve into a case that was originally going to be part of my Missing 411 episode from last week. But upon researching it a little bit further, I discovered that it didn't really fit the qualifications for it. It looks like there may be a little bit of a need for this case to have its own episode because we're going to solve us a murder case. And I'm going to be extremely opinionated throughout, so enjoy that. So this case involves young Patrick McCarthy. In October of 2003, the McCarthy family were enjoying their annual family vacation at Whaleback Mountain in New Hampshire. On the afternoon of October 13th, 10-year-old Patrick McCarthy was playing with his stepbrothers Gabe, who was 12, and Noah, a 7-year-old, about 400 yards from their condominium. The boys decided to race each other back to the condo. Patrick, trying to game the system, took a shortcut through the woods, but Patrick never arrived at the condo. Patrick's dad, Steve of course, immediately called the police and began searching for Patrick himself. Meanwhile, his stepmother, Margaret, a.k.a. Max, a nickname no doubt earned by the way she lived her life, began calling relatives, starting with her brother James. James arrived and immediately began preparing to search, even causing a closed store to open so he could purchase maps and other supplies he would need to start looking for Patrick. Just as he was about to begin his search, he agreed to give a man a ride home who was having car problems. The man lived four miles away. James did that, then reappeared at the condo five hours later, stating that he had been searching for Patrick as soon as he got that man home, because he was just a doll like that. Unfortunately, that very night a storm came through and made immediate search of the area very difficult. The next day, volunteers showed up, swelling to about 500 searchers at one point. The search for Patrick went from sunup to sundown over a four-day period. Helicopter, search dogs, all that jazz were called in. The search dogs never got a scent, though their effort was hampered by the fact that the family, oddly, had nothing with Patrick's scent on it. Max had done the laundry between the time Patrick went missing and the search dogs showed up. So Patrick's scent was washed away. On the fifth day of the search, one of the searchers found Patrick two miles away from the condo on the backside of Whaleback Mountain, dead. The searchers carried Patrick back to the police. The medical examiner, after conducting his investigations, determined that Patrick died of hypothermia. Easy breezy, case closed, let's move on, right? Well, 
Patrick's immediate family objected to this and began campaigning for law enforcement to continue its investigation, or I would arguably say start a daggum investigation. They demanded a second autopsy be performed because there were undocumented injuries on Patrick's neck and back that were not showing up in the medical examiner's report. Specifically, he had significant bruising and deep cuts on his neck and shoulders that were obvious from the pictures police shared with them. Neither the police nor the medical examiner nor anyone with any sort of inside knowledge of this case ever responded to the family's concerns. They just ignored him, shut him out, didn't care. I mean, it's just it's no big deal. Just a child that died, you know. They later learned that Patrick also had unusual cuts on his lips and gums and a nose full of dirt, all of which failed to appear in the medical examiner's report. And again, police remained mum. The FBI assisted with the search, and the agent who was in charge of the scene apparently noted that he thought the death was either accidental or intentional. This was because Patrick was not found how you would expect to find a hypothermia victim. If you're losing body heat and you're getting colder and colder, what are you going to do? You're going to ball up, save all that body heat. Instead, Patrick was laying face down with his arms crossed underneath his chest and his legs pointed straight out. I'm no doctor. I just don't believe there's such a thing as sudden onset of hypothermia that would cause you to go into a Dracula pose upon death. It's also surprising what wasn't found at the scene. Patrick was found without the hat he was wearing when he disappeared, without the coat he was wearing when he disappeared, and without the shoes and socks he was wearing when he disappeared. I can accept a child losing their hat, while stumbling through the woods blindly. I don't believe a child would lose their coat, and I certainly don't think shoes would just fall off. Oddly, as I say often, without shoes, one would think Patrick's feet would be scratched up. I mean, I step on one of my kids' Legos, and I swear I have to wear a boot for a week and a half. But here, we have nothing on Patrick's feet. They're totally clean, despite him apparently wandering through the forest until he died. Let's make this even more crazy. Law enforcement never visited the scene where Patrick was found. The searchers who found Patrick carried his body out of the woods on a stretcher and stomped all over the crime scene, compromising it for investigators. But that really didn't matter because nobody from law enforcement ever made the two-mile hike to even look at the scene. So who knows what evidence was sitting there that could have been collected to help us figure out what really happened. Now, Patrick was kind of the redheaded stepchild of the family. His stepbrothers and stepmother did not seem to care for him. Gabe, the older brother, allegedly stated on his MySpace page multiple times that he wished Patrick was dead. I think it was around 2008 or 2009 that Facebook finally dethroned MySpace. It honestly wouldn't surprise me if Gabe and his family are still very active on MySpace today. They strike me as that sort. But this is, again, this was 2003, so MySpace was having its heyday. Tom was living it up. Patrick also had previously made an accusation against Gabe 
stating that Gabe had attempted to force him to perform a sexual act on him, an accusation which Max did not take seriously. A teacher from Gabe's school reported to the police that she was told by Gabe that Patrick would not be returning from this trip. When police told Max and Steve this information, Steve set up in shock, and Max said, Oh, that's just boys being boys. Gabe also apparently told the police that Patrick would be really hard to find in the woods. When he was interviewed formally by the police, Gabe was extremely evasive, and it was to such a degree that law enforcement said, we got to talk to this kid again. A family friend described Gabe as a classic bully, and Gabe was twice as big as Patrick. I believe Gabe was around 140 pounds, and Patrick was 70-ish pounds. As bad as Gabe was, Max was even worse. Steve's father claimed that he overheard Max saying she hated Patrick. Other witnesses reported Max making similar statements. When Patrick reported Gabe making those sexual advances, Max's response was to become furious and to punish Patrick. How did she punish Patrick? By taking away the blankets from his bed and his nightlight, knowing full well that Patrick was terrified of the dark. So she was being as cruel as she possibly could be in the, under that scenario. Interestingly, while the search was going on, Steve walked in on Max telling a story to Gabe and Noah called Hug a Tree. Why does this matter? Because Hug a Tree is a story that involves three boys playing in the woods and one goes missing and is eventually found dead. Now, I feel obligated to describe Max at this point, mainly just because she seems like such a horrible person. You can look her up online. There's pictures of her. I'll go ahead and describe her in case you're in your car or if you're lazy like me and don't want to Google nothing. She really looks like kind of the villain's girlfriend in a 1987 coming-of-age movie centered around dirt bikes and the quiet kid saving the day, who now looks like a woman who spends a lot of time asking to speak to somebody's manager and wondering why her Herbalife business isn't giving her the lifestyle she craves. She's that lady in your office that was always on a diet, but for lunch would eat two double cheeseburgers and a Diet Coke. Uh, I, I would say she is the physical personification of the term ratchet. What I'm saying is she's just not a likable appearing person at all. Okay, so the police were concerned because the two stepbrothers, Gabe and Noah, gave inconsistent statements. They both identified different parts of the woods where Patrick ran into and could not answer the same simple questions. Meanwhile, Max's actions were so unusual that the police gave her a lie detector test shortly before Patrick's body was found. However, the results of that test were never released to anybody. Apparently, once Patrick's body was found, the police just hit stop on this case. You remember James, Max's brother? Good guy. Opened up the store to get supplies, help the dude whose car was broken down, all that jazz. Okay, well, James went out searching the first night in the storm around 2 o'clock in the morning. 
At 2.30 a.m., the police get a call from Max. Max wants to know if the police helicopters are out searching. And when she finds out that they can't search because of the weather, she sounds relieved. Maybe even giddy. I'm just going to impose as many negative characteristics on Max as I can, because I just find her despicable in the story. During the next few days, James continued to join in the search. However... He insisted on being a lone wolf and would not search with anybody else. While the search was going on for those four days, neighbors came up and expressed their condolences and shock and dismay over Patrick's disappearance to James. How did James respond? Not with a thank you, not with a teary-eyed nod, but instead by saying, oh, Patrick will be somewhere close by because he's just a sissy. Apparently, The entirety of one conversation was so bizarre that a pair of neighbors actually called the police and reported it to them. When the police questioned James, James said, "Uh, this is just a case of some kid wandering into the woods getting lost and he's probably dead. And this is before Patrick's body was found. Shortly after the police determined this was an accidental death, both Max and James moved to Ohio away from all of this, and refused to speak to anyone regarding the matter. Now, they're brother and sister, like I said, so I don't think they live together, but they're weird enough that I wouldn't be shocked with anything. Steve has made statements that he no longer believes anything Max has to say regarding Patrick's death, and they are no longer together, shockingly. Patrick's biological mother, Deanne, has written a book which contains all the information that's been gathered by the family, either from what's been turned over by the police, found on their own, or found by the private investigators they've hired. If you're interested in reading it, it can be purchased at patrickmccarthy.org, and Patrick is not spelled with a K. Deanna adamantly, adamantly insists that Patrick was not the sort of boy who would just go running off into the woods. Now, as far as Patrick's death, there are some oddities to it that we haven't discussed yet. And I understand why David Polite has put this in his book. Again, you've got the missing shoes, you've got the bad weather, you've got search dogs who can't get a scent. But also you've got Patrick being found in a location that nobody believed he would be able to get to. It was 1,400 feet above the condo and located on the backside of the mountain up a very steep slope. Experienced searchers will tell you that children, when lost, like we talked about some last week, will typically wander around aimlessly, but they always go downhill, not uphill, which kind of makes sense. There's internet rumors that while there was no, while there was dirt found up Patrick's nose when he was found, his fingernails were totally clean. Now, to get to where Patrick's body was found, the searchers had to get, you know, down on their hands and knees and climb up that way. So it seems very unlikely that this little boy would have clean hands when he reached his little summit. I think the cause of death being hypothermia is questionable as well. For what it's worth, from what I can tell doing research, Patrick would have faced temperatures as low as 44 degrees. Now, according to the... 
there's no hard and fast rules on when hypothermia will set in and things like that. There's lots of different variables that affect it. But a healthy 10-year-old active boy would be particularly robust against hypothermia from what I learned. Several medical sources I found said that if you are wet and the temperatures drop below 50 degrees Fahrenheit, hypothermia becomes possible. I went so far as to call my doctor sister and explain the situation to her. And she said, unless Patrick was literally soaked to the bone, she doesn't think this is a situation where hypothermia could really affect him. During the day, the temperatures were getting into the high 60s, low 70s. So even though this is October and it's Vermont, I'm, I'm sorry, New Hampshire, um, we're not dealing with snow. We're not dealing with frigid temperatures or a nasty wind chill. It would not be pleasant to be out at night uh, in 44-degree weather, certainly. But it does not seem like it would be deadly. Additionally, Patrick's family, when they petitioned all the law enforcement agencies involved in this case to re-examine the medical examiner's report, they provided reports from six different experts who all disagreed with the medical examiner's conclusions. And these experts included former medical examiners. Now, I don't know about you, but if six of my coworkers came up to me and said, you know, your conclusion seems a little faulty here, I'd feel a little compelled to re-examine my work. But, you know, I'm a fantastic attorney, so maybe I think a little bit differently. This also makes my research about hypothermia seem so spot-on and smart, right? Yep. But, again, police and everybody else refuse to even look at the matter again. So there's our facts. There's what happened. Now we're going to get into theory time. Now it's time for old Brad to shine. Okay, like I've mentioned a couple of times, this is in one of David Politis's Missing 411 books as a possible case. I understand why, but oh, David didn't hire Brad to look into this. And the facts demonstrate to me, with very little doubt, that Patrick did not die from hypothermia, but Patrick was murdered. Now, unfortunately, we have no benefit of any forensic analysis. Again, the police refuse to visit the scene where a dead body was found. That just sounds absurd, doesn't it? I'm not the only one sitting here saying, well, gosh darn, shouldn't the police be out there poking around? No, y'all all have to be saying this, right? Don't you want the police to search the area where a dead body's found, especially if it's one of your relatives? I take this to mean that the police really didn't care about finding out what happened here. They just wanted to close the daggum case. As soon as the medical examiner said this was hypothermia, they threw up their hands and said, all right, give me the next file. Now, the searchers who found Patrick's body should have been instructed to leave the body alone and make sure they didn't mess with the scene as part of any sort of pre-search briefing. And that's me assuming that the police actually cared enough to give a pre-search briefing. Who the heck knows when they won't even bother to hike two miles to look at it? 
So I guess ultimately it doesn't matter whether or not you have the briefing. Just let folks stomp all over it. It ain't going to change nothing. Here's how I draw up how all of this went down. I think Gabe's the one responsible for Patrick's death. He made too many troublesome statements to ignore. He had a history of bullying Patrick. He had expressed a desire for Patrick to be dead too many times. And I think what happened is Gabe kind of overbullied Patrick, for lack of a better term, and ended up causing Patrick's death. My guess would be by choking. It's possible maybe by some sort of blunt force trauma to the back of the head. But one of those two scenarios jives in my mind. Noah was there and witnessed the whole thing. They do whatever to Patrick, find out he's dead, freak out, run back to the condo. They tell their mom. Max tells Steve. Steve calls the police. Steve starts looking. Max calls James, gets him on his way down there, and follows that up by coaching the boys on what to say very quickly. Naturally, these kids being so young, they don't do so well under pressure, and when the cops show up a few minutes later, they don't give consistent statements. Max catches a break, and a storm moves in, slowing the search. This gives James time to find Patrick's body and move it to a remote location. Because again, remember, he's out of pocket for five hours that are essentially unexplained. I was out searching for Patrick is all we get. This is also along the same time when Max is calling the police, apparently with the intent to dissuade helicopter searches because she expressed relief when she found out helicopters were not searching. So James is probably carrying Patrick away from the condo. At some point, I'm guessing he is reduced to dragging Patrick by his feet. Probably a combination of exhaustion, fighting the storm, and rigor mortis, which would have sent in. Patrick's hat falls off while being drugged. When James reaches Patrick's final resting place, he has to pick up the boy and carry him up that steep slope. James, probably thinking he's smarter than he is, wants to make sure there's no forensic evidence left behind. So he removes Patrick's jacket and his socks and shoes because those are the areas James would have been handling the most. In an act of disrespect, because it is obvious from James' previous statements, he does not like this boy. He just lets him plop down face first. That would cause some of the scratching. He likely drug him into a specific location on this ridge, face down, explaining the dirt up the nose. He returns, tosses the jacket, shoes, and socks, either in the woods or in a dumpster. The next day, again, James goes out to search on his own. Allegedly, I think this was an opportunity for James to get with Max to help sure up the story the boys are telling. Max would have this opportunity while Steve's out searching to go over everything with Gabe and Noah and make sure that they had a better story than what they did initially. She also washes Gabe and Noah's clothing to make sure there's no blood, or other DNA evidence on there. I suspect she threw in some of Patrick's clothing, not because she was worried about the scent 
dogs could pick up on, but to make it look like she was treating the children fairly, she was holding out hope for Patrick's return, making sure he had clean sheets and clean clothes and all that stuff because she's such a wonderful stepmother. When the police come and talk to him a second time, Max's distaste for Patrick is so overwhelming that even these lazy cops who don't want to solve this crime feel compelled to give her a lie detector test. Like I said, those results are never released. I would bet lots of money that at best the results are inconclusive, and I would feel pretty comfortable in saying that she got caught in at least a couple lies on there. But once the medical examiner calls the death, the police just quit working on it. Considering this part of New Hampshire appears to be a tourist area, I don't find this too surprising. Let's take a sidebar here. Towns get to submit crime statistics to the Department of Justice each year. And the Department of Justice will award grants to cities based on how much crime is in the area. So there's actually a financial incentive to over-report crime stats so you can get extra federal money for your police department. However, there are political concerns in doing this. Perhaps you've got a mayor who wants to be tough on crime and show that he's cleaning up the streets. Or perhaps you live in a touristy area and you don't want to give the impression that there's murder afoot. Which, we're in a touristy area here. Second sidebar. I once had a deputy tell me that his sheriff gave orders not to arrest the bigger drug dealers in the area. Just go after the small guys. And his reasoning for this was they could continue to make drug arrests and build up their numbers. And as long as they kept doing that, they would get bigger and bigger grants under the war on drugs stuff. So this is how backwards our criminal justice system is. Cops will literally not make arrests, under-report crimes, over-report crimes, change the causes of death, all based on the politics of the situation. Okay, so back to our theory, my theory. We're, no, we're, we're a team here, aren't we? Fist bump. Okay, our theory. So after the police close this matter, Steve learns that Gabe and or Max and or James were somehow involved in Patrick's disappearance. Maybe he learned about Max's bad go at the lie detector test. Maybe it was that statement that Gabe told his teacher that Patrick wasn't coming back alive. Maybe it was James talking about what a sissy his kid was. But I think Steve was tipped off. And honestly, I wouldn't really be shocked if he learned this before the case was officially closed, which is why he's so furious about the police not reopening or re-examining the medical examiner's findings. Now, again, this is just Brad's theory or our theory. We can hold hands. I certainly do not have access to all the information the police do. I'm just piecing together what I found online. The police may very well have indisputable evidence that this child died of hypothermia. I will never believe that. I will go to my grave believing that the local New Hampshire police allowed a murderer to go unprosecuted in the name of protecting the reputation of their touristy little town. 
It's only my opinion, but it's very strong, and I will fight anyone who disagrees with me who is smaller and weaker than I am. Again, if you are interested in learning more, you can read the book being published by Patrick's mom at patrickmccarthy.org. That money is being used to keep awareness of this case up, to try to put pressure on the local officials to re-examine this case, to reopen it, and for all the costs incurred in publishing the book and editing it and all that jazz. So again, it's Patrick without a K, so P-A-T-R-I-C, McCarthy, M-C-C-A-R-T-H-Y dot org. You should be able to find it pretty easily. It's not a fun case. It's a very frustrating case. All right. Well, we've covered that episode. I hope you enjoyed it. But I know what you're holding your breath for, our palate cleanser. Again, I let my middle child pick this one. He's far better at finding jokes than I am. Here we go. What did the salad say to the apple? Close the door. I'm dressing. That is just fantastic, isn't it? Just, I mean, that is set at a seven-year-old level. And I will say that my wife has found this joke so funny for some reason that I cannot figure out that she almost starts crying whenever my seven-year-old tells it. As you can tell, I live with some very special people. Okay, with that, you're done with me for another week. Thank you for listening. You guys are rock stars for putting in the time. I, again, it just tickles the heck out of me that folks want to listen to me talk. We keep growing our listener base slowly but steadily, so I would keep asking y'all, share the show with your friends. Rate us. That's huge. Give me some stars. Stars! Um, reviews are nice, too. Love getting feedback from y'all. Love it so, so, so much. So please email me. You can... Tell me what an awesome job I am, how because of listening to me, your life has changed for the better, it's helped attract your soulmate, soulmate, whatever. Or more practically, if you've got a cool idea for the show, let me know and I'll go with it. I'm piecing together what I find interesting, but I certainly want to do what y'all find interesting. Okay, well with that I'm going to sign off. So remember, you guys are always in my thoughts because I love you. Goodbye from Brad. Thank you for listening to Killing, Missing, Hidden. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share. Questions? Email us at info at kmhpodcast.com.